you push the limits with the ocean, you respect it, but that's not gonna stop you from pushing the limits and then that kind of sets your bar higher and your comfortability higher um, to be able to handle that and just build your confidence in it. But you definitely, no matter how much confidence you have out there, you definitely always gotta be, you gotta, you gotta have your wits with you and especially on a boat and everything too, you know, there's been some what is going on, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Along the Keel. My name is Captain Zach, and in this week's episode of the podcast, we get to take a trip to the big island of Hawaii and talk to my buddy, Danny Bolton. Danny Bolton and I, we uh, we briefly met over on the island of Hawaii, um, and I actually knew his wife from training at a CrossFit gym, CrossFit Kona. Shout out to you guys. And Danny Bolton is, man, he is one cool dude he pretty much has been there and done that and currently is living out on the big island his family runs a very large coffee farm out there and have been doing that for quite some time but in his spare time danny is a spear fisherman he is a off-road instructor he is also a hunter and a very very passionate uh, human being just in all aspects it seems as though every time i check out danny talk to him He's, uh, he's always doing something full throttle, full bore, no pun intended, you'll find out later. And um, he's just a really cool guy. So really excited to share with you Danny's story today, and I hope you enjoyed this episode of Along the Keel. Before I go, make sure to check out alongthekeel.com. We just launched our brand new website, so all the products and people and brands that you can listen to on this podcast... You can also buy the ingredients for your next coastal adventure right on the website. Also, sign up for our newsletter at alongthekeel.com and check us out on social media. So with that, hope you guys enjoy this episode of the podcast and happy new year. All right. <laughs> Danny, what's happening? What's up, buddy? How you been? I've been good. It's good to see you. I feel like we bumped into each other like once or twice when I was back on the big island, but yeah. Um, you know, whether I think it was at Kona Coffee, right? Well, that's yeah, your, Kona Coffee the, and Tea Company. Yeah. yeah, that's my family's. That's my family's uh, shop, and we have our own farm and mill and everything. And yeah, um, I used to ro- roast coffee in there and stuff. Yeah, and that's like one of the biggest ones on the island, right? Like the biggest farms. Uh, it's one of the Pretty bigger big. farms. Yeah, it's one of the bigger farms. It's over a hundred acres of coffee. Yep, and. There, yeah. So for people don't know, like that, it's like the Napa Wine Valley, right? Like there's, it's just a region, the Kona region. Because when I tell people, oh yeah, Kona Coffee, like what? I've had your coffee before. <laughs> and um, there's so many companies and there's so many little ones, but yeah, we have a, a good sized farm. And um, the cool thing about that is that we do the whole process, mm-hmm. everything from farming it um, to running the wet mill, dry mill, and then roasting it and packaging right. it. So it's cool to see the whole process and have our hands involved in all of it. Right. Now is that, I mean, how long has your family been doing that for? So probably when I was about 10. So that makes it uh 26 years, I think. Yep. Uh, my dad, we had like a, a little ranch property. Mm-hmm. We used to go up there, ride dirt bikes and stuff and quads and just get outdoors. And, um, 
from my understanding, my dad, a couple of the guys were kind of slow in construction because they own a construction company as well. So he's like, Frick, let's stay busy. Let's, um, let's just go plant coffee up at the farm. So when did that? And then we would be up there, you know, camping and stuff and then help planting all the trees and stuff. And it was my first job, you know, it was like probably 12, 13 years old, planting little coffee plants and getting paid like five bucks an hour. <laughs> yep. Um, start them out, you know, you start them out in a little tray and they all sprout up and then you take them from there and you put them in a pot so they have room to grow. Mm-hmm. Let them grow down in a nursery where they're getting watered constantly for about a year. Yep. And then you take them up to the farm and you take your piece of property and we ran a string directly across it so that we could have straight lines and then marked every, however far we were going to put the plants and went and punched holes and went and planted these plants all the way down the, so it'd be straight rows. And yeah. And then, uh, real early on it had the coffee one, um, best coffee. We had that, that festival that goes on the Kona coffee festival. Mm-hmm. and it won um, first place. So that kind of sparked like, oh, we have something here. And right. my parents started, you know, they, they opened up a shop and um, we're at a different location now, right there in town. But uh, that's kind of what sparked it. Like, okay, there's something here, you know? Right, right. Yeah, I mean, you guys have the, you know, when I was living in Kona, um, it's, right smack dab in the middle yeah. pretty much and it's like yeah right down Polani road and yeah right by i mean kta's right there which is cool it's like a little local grocery store and then mm-hmm. post office right across the street uh it's a sweet little spot yeah no it definitely is so you know that kind of begs the question of like you know you're you're from hawaii right which is yeah. pretty which is a unique you know oven itself but then you're also from the big island mm-hmm. which is you know having lived there for a little bit and then moving away and be like, Oh, where'd you live? I was like, I was, I lived on Hawaii and, uh, you know, the Island of Hawaii, not Oahu. Cause everyone tries right. to think, Oh, you're from Hawaii. You live on Oahu. It's like, no, no, no. There's a lot yeah. more islands. over. So you being born in Hawaii, was this like, has, was your family, um, from Hawaii as well? No, my, my mom and dad came over, uh, from California mm-hmm. when they were like, I think 19 or something. My dad came over, um, had a friend over here or in Hawaii and, and just came over the backpack and, you know, just cruising to work. He worked construction. My grandpa was a house builder. So I came over the backpack and a bucket of tools and uh, just went to every job site and asked if they needed help and was working construction and then got my mom to come over pretty much from the story they told me like, my mom, my dad was like, oh yeah, got a place to stay, you know, got it all lined up and just come over. And, and that was not the case, you know, when she came over, I think they stayed at a friend's house for a couple of days because he was out of town. Mm-hmm. And then they ended up just like living, not homeless, but I mean, they were living on the beach and no, they were living on the beach and they were living on the golf courses. They have some funny stories about like the sprinklers coming on and stuff. Yeah. So, I mean, they were working jobs, but it, uh, I mean, they were relative, they're homeless, you know, they're, and they eventually ended up like renting some coffee shack out and fixing it up for whoever's property it was on. And 
uh, started a construction company there and grew it to what it is today. And then the coffee company kind of came second to that. And so then I was born and raised over there, me and my two sisters. And then I have three uh, cousins who I grew up with closely too. And uh-huh. a beautiful place to grow up. I mean, oh, it's I, incredible. I definitely, yeah, I definitely, you know, when you live there and you're born and raised there, you sadly don't appreciate it as much as maybe you should. Mm-hmm. And then it wasn't until I moved away that I realized how lucky I was and how much I missed it. And then when I had my daughter, uh, who's now 11, um, there was no question on where I wanted to live and the reasons that I wanted her to grow up in Hawaii. Cause I realized how lucky I was to be able to always have the ocean there to play and the community. Um, the culture's real good, you know? Mm-hmm. So once we had our, once we had our daughter, it was like, okay, back to Hawaii. Yeah, and we're staying here. You know, this is this is where we're staying. Right, right. Yeah, you know, it's that's um, that was kind of the draw for me to move there was you know the ocean, right? And being and having my captain's license, I was like, oh well, what better place to be? I mean, I know I'm going to get a job, right? And there's there's yeah. surrounded by water, so if I can't get a job, then maybe I should change careers, right? Mm-hmm. And um, you know, that was kind of the cool thing because I, I felt as though I could in some ways speak to the culture a little bit more than someone who just came over and was not in tune with nature, not in right. tune with working with your hands, working on the water, like talking and being yes. friendly to people. Cause those are all things that you got to know and do. Right. I mean, that's kind of the reason mm-hmm. why we're talking because I met Sule at CrossFit, right. At Kona mm-hmm. CrossFit. And then, yeah. you know, she told me about what you were doing. And I was like, Oh man, Danny's a cool guy. Plus <laughs> on your Instagram, you see you ripping dirt bikes all the time, hunting and it's got like got a lot of cool stuff going on, which we're going to dive yeah. into. But what is it about, you know, the Hawaiian culture and the ocean that kind of goes so hand in hand? Uh, I mean, I guess respect, right? Like, yeah, you got to respect the ocean. Um, and, you know, I'm not native Hawaiian, but I can only imagine back in the day, that's where a lot of your food came from. Um, and it can also whoop your ass if you're not paying attention. <laughs> yep. So it, it definitely demands a lot of respect. And I think that culture is the same. Like it demands a lot of respect and people who don't respect it, uh, they get the same treatment back. Right. Like, mm-hmm. like you got, you know, the word Howley is like thrown around a lot. Mm-hmm. And it's more like, I'm sure maybe, maybe you saw a little bit while you're there, like you're, if you're a white person and you yeah. move to Hawaii, you're just considered a Howley, but it's more your mindset. Mm-hmm. Like, like you were saying, if you're respectful and you work hard and you treat those people with respect, most of the time you're going to get respect back, especially mm-hmm. if you respect the ocean and you're not, um, just, uh, disrespectful people or, you know, you're, you're paying attention to the ocean and you have that bond too. Like there's a lot of local fishermen. And if you're out there as well, like you have that bond of the, of the ocean. So I would say that would be the one thing that, that I would say is just, how much respect there is for the ocean and then also for the culture. Yeah. 
And I like it like that. Like there's too much of nowadays people don't respect each other. You know, people don't even know their neighbors. And I've seen people disrespect people and then just get knocked out right there. And they wonder what they did wrong, what they did to deserve, you know, getting flatlined. But it's like, what'd you expect? You know, you, you, you're mouthing off to this guy and he's way bigger than you. Right. So it's the same thing with the ocean, right? Like if you don't respect it, you're going to get, you're going to eventually get, um, you're going to learn real quick. Yeah. You're going to get pounded into the lava rock and it's going to hurt. And, (laughs) you know, um, that's kind of the cool part about it. And I feel like in a lot of ways, you know, you respect the ocean, but then you also kind of trot the line a little bit, right? Like you, in some ways you kind of push the limits, but you know where the limit is and you can, the only way to find that limit is to push it a little bit, right? Like, Oh yeah going out on a boat when you probably shouldn't be out on a boat. I mean, yeah. I remember going out and the swells out in Hawaii compared to the swells here in the Northeast huh. are just, the swells in Hawaii are massive. I mean, okay, they're incredibly big. The swells here in the Northeast are really big, but uh-huh. it's not that big rolling swell that we get, um, that you guys get. Here, it's a little bit, everything kind of flattens out because we are on the continental shelf. And then you get a lot of wind chop and, and whatnot. But out there, like, yeah. I feel like I'd be on top of a crest and it would be, I don't know, yards, yards long versus feet, yeah. you know? It's like a little, so, little mountain tops. Yeah, like going over mountains and you'd like go in the trough and you disappear yeah. and then you go back up and you're, you're you know, you're back to seeing. Um, yeah. Pretty wild feeling. But, you know, you growing up in Hawaii, I mean, that meant you were out on the water, you know, hunting, fishing, spear fishing, yeah. just the whole bit. So as you were growing up, were, was there any moment that you, uh, you had to trot the line a little bit? <laughs> yeah, I think as a kid, right. You, you learn that, like you definitely respect the ocean, but you're, you're kind of ignorant to it too. Mm-hmm. And I can remember real early on, just even sitting next to the ocean on a big day and not paying attention and huge waves coming up over the rocks. Mm-hmm pretty much channeling down into this little spot I was sitting and just picking me up and just tumbling me down the lava rocks into this little tide pool. And, uh, you know, water itself is so powerful, but yeah, there's definitely been some times where I shouldn't have been out there. Um, there's been some times where I've gone night diving for lobsters and Mm -hmm. it being way bigger surf than I should have been out there, uh, losing my light. And then thankfully it's a light, so it's on right? and you're like in darkness and then the bubbles are all there. And once the bubbles cleared enough, I could kind of see like a dim spot where the light was and going over mm-hmm. and getting it. Um, but yeah, surfing too, like it's been some big days where I probably shouldn't have been out there at my skill level, you know, but like you said, you push the limits with the ocean, you respect it, but that's not going to stop you from pushing the limits. And then that kind of sets your bar higher and your comfortability higher, um, to be able to handle that and just build your confidence in it. But you definitely, Mm -hmm. no matter how much confidence you have out there, you definitely always gotta be, you gotta, you gotta have your wits with you and especially on a boat and everything too. You know, there's been some, some crazy days out there where the squalls will pick up and, Mm-hmm. Thankfully, they don't last too long there. So, you know, like, okay, if I can just bear through this for 
the hour, two hours, mm-hmm. hopefully the winds will die down. Um, if, even if you're sitting in one spot and the winds are just gushing at you and you're just having to take all the waves in over the right. bow, but hoping like, okay, I'm not making any ground here, but <laughs> if I just don't run out of gas for these couple hours, then like it should, should mellow back out. Right. Right. Well, yeah. And, and I think the ocean allows you to kind of earn too. Right. I mean, yeah. you, you going out there and like putting in the time to go through a little bit of a rough patch and then coming out on the end, other end. Okay. Hopefully yeah. you kind of earn yeah. that right to push it a little bit further that next time. Now, yeah. do you think that, um, and, and I think that's a great analogy for like Hawaii in general, right? You kind of got to earn every step you take. Yeah. Um, now you're out on Hawaii with, uh, could be wrong. It's a forest, right? The type of boat that you have. Uh, no, we have a Radin. It's oh, you a have a Radin. Yeah. Yeah. It was actually my grandpa's. Say that again. Are they similar looking to the forest? Cause I think that's why I had it confused. Yeah. A little bit. They're a little bit more rounded in the front. Like the forces kind of okay. come up and a little yep. bit steeper and the noses stick a little bit further out of the water. Mm-hmm. Um, the, I think you are thinking about my cousin's boat. He has a force. Okay. With and the twin outboards. Yeah, yeah. So it, his is a force and I fish a lot with him. Mm-hmm. So he has a force and he's more of a commercial. He goes out commercially. He also just works construction. That's like mm-hmm. how he makes his money. Um, but when he can, he gets out there and fishes. Uh, and definitely just to catch fish for friends and family and stuff too. Mm-hmm. But if you're out there putting in the work and you end up with more than you can give away, um, mm-hmm. all of it, you know, down to sell it to the local market and for the local restaurants and stuff like that, or just right. to friends, you know, like, Oh, we're going to bag up a bunch of this and sell it, you know, 20 bucks a bag or whatever it is, which <laughs> is cool. Cause that's, that's the way I'd like to see it go. Right. Cause then you know who you're supporting and right. Yeah. So and what's funny is like that bag of yellowfin. Yeah. For 20 bucks would be here in the Northeast would be like, like 40 or 50. <laughs> Isn't it crazy? It's crazy. The crazy. The crazy thing is, is that a lot of some of the fish they sell in the stores in Hawaii are like it's from Indonesia or something mm-hmm. because a lot of the fish we catch over there and the high quality-ness of it, they ship it off to where they can sell for super high prices. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's crazy. Uh-huh. And it's kind of sad because like 90% of our fisheries are actually exported. And then yeah. there's also a percent that is then re-imported and sold back to, you know, you Americans, right? Right. And it's the same fish that we just caught off our coast, but for some weird reason, you know, politics and whatnot, they all of a sudden, whatever the reason is, we're now paying exponentially more for our fish. Meanwhile, yes. we can go and catch it ourselves and, and not have to do that. But you know, yeah is what it is right <laughs> it is what it is i mean uh that's business right like yeah the dollar i'm not gonna you know you would never criticize a local fisherman for trying to make more money than oh god no what they yeah. could sell locally you know right right totally but um, you know i was always amazed by the guys on the side of the road selling ahi for like i don't know I can't remember what it was. I felt like it was like 10 bucks a pound. Not even. It was less than that. Yeah. Like five bucks a pound sometimes. It then depends on the season. Yeah. It's like, depends on when they're catching a bunch or not, but yeah, you can get it pretty cheap, especially pretty if cheap. you're willing to, especially if you're willing to clean the fish yourself. Oh yeah. 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 
and some of those Definitely. smaller, you know, some of those smaller little rats, you can, uh, you, you can pull a lot of meat off that thing, you know, just like a, a small fish that's meals for days. Yeah. Yeah. And what I love the most about it is you go out of like Honokahau, right? Which for those who are listening there is like the only port pretty much, you know, substantial Harbor on, yeah. the, on that side of the Island. Right. I mean, would you say yeah. that? Yeah. Um, I mean, there's Keho, but it's a lot smaller, but yeah, like that's definitely where all the charter boats and all the um, commercial boats come in and out of. So yeah, definitely. Right. And then like you see these sport fishers go out and they're like multi-million dollar boats Oh yeah. and they're, catching, you know, the same, if not less ahi than the guys that are going out in tiny little skiffs, you know, yeah. I would see these open boat skiffs with one guy and his buddy with an outboard with a tiller drive, nothing fancy. Yeah. And he's going out and just nailing tuna comes wow. back and the sportfish guys didn't catch anything. I think it's, I think it's awesome. <laughs> yeah, that is cool. I like that. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, then my, my cousin has the, um, force and then my grandpa has a rat and, and that's, okay. I end up on that boat quite a bit too. Um, my grandpa just recently passed away, but my, my dad has the boat and then I'm able to take it out when I, when I need to. And mm-hmm. that boat's cool. Cause Radden's the guy, Don Radden is known for that boat and he had built them out of like Ventura area, Santa Barbara, Ventura. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he and then he was over in Hawaii for a while and they were building them there. And that boat was the last one to come off the mold when they're building them out of Kwai Hai. Oh, no um, way. Which was the same year that I was born. So 1985 is when that boat came off the mold. And mm-hmm. that was the same year I was born. And I used to go fishing with my grandpa quite a bit. I don't really remember it when I was that little, but mm-hmm. um I mean, my first words were fish. It was, I guess I'd say ish, you know, I'd be missing the F I'd say ish, ish, you know, and I'd like yeah. poke, the, poke the fish in the eyeballs and stuff, which all yep. kids do. Right. Of course. And, uh, so it, it's cool to have that, those memories on that boat and just with family and stuff. So, yeah, no, it's super cool to have that one boat. That's kind of been generational, you know, like yeah. here, in Rhode Island, we have a, a boat that has been has done that. You know, it was my it's been my grandfather's boat, my grandmother's boat. You know, I was on it. There's a picture of me on it when I was I don't know two months old. And then every single family member in the family has that same picture. So very similar in the yeah. sense of like it's just what you're born into, like what you grow up onto. And I think people yeah. that truly have that connection to the water, you kind of have to be like born into it to some degree. You know. Yeah, it's a hard one to, especially when you get older, um, like take surfing, for example. Mm-hmm. If you grew up surfing, a lot of surfing is being able to read the ocean. So you could be sitting there looking out and you can see a swell coming in and you'll know right where to be. Do I got to paddle further out? Do I got to paddle in? Is it coming to the left, right, whatever? Mm-hmm. If you don't learn that when you're young, um, it is the learning curve is way harder and you got to want it. Like if you want to learn, learn to surf when you're older, you got to really want it. Cause you're going to take your lickings out there. And not only that is you got to earn the respect of the people out there and, um, put in your time, you know, mm-hmm. and when you're a kid, you have a lot more time, right? So like if <laughs> yeah. you're always at the beach as a kid, you got to learn that stuff early on. Yeah. Um, so it's, 
a lot about just reading the ocean and um, same with on a boat, same thing. Yeah, totally. And it, you know, I'm getting this theme of like, you know, and I'd love to kind of talk about some things that you do professionally, uh-huh. right? Because you have a very interesting background <laughs> there where not a lot of people, you know, I don't think do or even come close to doing what you do. Uh-huh. Um, but taking that whole mentality of like earning, right? And, you know, yeah. earning your keep on the farm, earning your keep on the ocean. The culture of Hawaii is very much so like you earn, you know, you're right at the table, right? Just from yeah. a cultural standpoint. Whereas here and like on the mainland, it's just not, some cases it's prevalent, but in other ways it's just not, you know? And I think having lived there for a little bit and understanding just a little bit of it, it was very apparent to me, like you got to earn your way into here, right? Like you got to make yes. friends, be a part of the culture. Otherwise you're just going to get spit out. So yeah. taking that concept, you move away. Mm-hmm. And I'm assuming like that's kind of where you started your career as, you know, driving off road and, and yeah, that whole, that whole thing. So as far as earning it goes, yeah, it, it does tie right into that. So um, I think the earning it thing kind of comes from it being a small community mm-hmm. and everybody knows each other. So there's, you can't fake your way through anything, right? Like, um, if you, if you're, if you're not working hard, there's somebody, you know, that you're working with that's knows you don't work very hard and then they're mm-hmm. going to tell their friends or whatever, like, dude, that guy's freaking always disappearing or whatever, you know, and not putting in the work. So it's a lot harder to fake it because everybody knows each other there mm-hmm. and, uh, you never gain any respect like that either. So as far as what I do for work, I do just to really quick touch on it and then we'll go deeper. I, I do off-road driving instructing for all kinds of people, but lately it's been a lot of, um, special forces, military people mm-hmm. and some other government agencies as well. Um, that came about through building off-road tracks and racing off-road like uh, i used to ride dirt bikes in hawaii Mm -hmm. and then since we had the construction company we had heavy equipment so i grew up running heavy equipment and having to like you know i'd get a job and i remember like doing some of these jobs down by the beach and just be running heavy equipment all day and seeing like your friends going to the beach or people you go to school with like you see them going down to surf and you're over there like working like Uh, sucks you know but whatever like you're getting paid you know so i ran heavy equipment um and my cousins too like i grew up close with my two cousins and uh to where they also were older than me and my whole dirt biking like if if it wasn't for my older cousin ryan i I probably would have never got a dirt bike as much as i could because he would be the one to come pick me up and take me and we built a dirt bike track together um, mm-hmm. whenever the equipment wasn't being used, we'd go get to use it and, and build our own little jumps and stuff. And so we ended up with like a pretty sick supercross motocross track. <laughs> and that was when I was, you know, young, probably 14 years old. We had an awesome little track up at the farm where the coffee is. Mm-hmm. Well, fast forward a couple of years. We have the uh, Ironman, the Ironman World Championships that yeah. come through Hawaii. Yeah. 
Volkswagen sponsored that one year and they wanted to build a track and so that they could let people drive their new Volkswagen Touareg. It's like the little SUV. Okay. And it's four wheel drive. They wanted to let people drive um, on an off-road scenario. So they wanted to build a track and they, word of mouth, they got my dad's phone number. Like, hey, these guys can build a track. Mm -hmm. So they call him and he's like, nah, none of my guys, like my employees do that. It's my son and my nephews. You got to call them. Mm -hmm. So this guy calls me and he's like, hey, we'd love for you to uh, talk about building a track and, you know, can you meet? And I was like, yeah, no problem. So I go down there and at the time I was only 16, I was still in high school. And I remember getting out of the truck and him looking at me like, who's this, you know? <laughs> yeah. And I walked over like, Hey, you know, I'm Danny. And I could see his eyes like shit. Like this is who I was talking to on the phone, you know? Right. And I was like, yeah, no problem. Like, what do you need? What, what do you want to do? And I could see the doubt in his face. And so like, part of just earning it and respect. I was like, okay, well, this guy, this guy thinks we can't do it. You know? You prove so wrong. we had, yeah, we had three days to build that track. And I called my cousin right away. I was like, Hey, this guy, this guy doesn't think we could do it. Like let's bust this thing out. So mm -hmm. we ended up building the track in one day and uh, calling him later that afternoon. Like, Hey, it's done. You know, like <laughs> come check it out. And we had to, he, he basically left us with a car and was like, Hey, build it as gnarly as you can without rolling this car over. So I was like, no problem. <laughs> and we built it like right to the line. Right. And, mm -hmm. uh, he was like, okay, this is way too gnarly. You know, like you guys may not roll it over, but if someone makes the wrong mistake, they might. Right. So we toned it down a little bit and, uh, that guy was like, okay, I love it. Um, what do you guys think about going on the road? for uh, a different car manufacturer for the next six months. Um, this was, we did that job. And then the next year they had this six month program that went all over the U S mm -hmm. and I had traveled a little bit to the West coast and stuff for family vacations, but never, never to the East coast and stuff and never by myself. And thankfully they hired my cousin as well. So the next year, the two of us went on the road. Uh, for six months working for this company. Huh. And uh, then that's kind of what, at, when we first went over there, when we weren't working, I'd just fly to family's house, like I had family in Burbank or some other friends elsewhere. That's what brought us to the mainland to move over there because we weren't going to fly back to Hawaii every time we had time off. Right. So I ended up living up in Nevada and we started riding dirt bikes up in Nevada and just amazed by how much open space there was. Mm -hmm. And we ended up entering a few dirt bike races and, uh, quickly learned that desert racing on a dirt bike is amazing, mm -hmm. but it can get a little sketchy. And we're like, well, let's build a truck, you know, like let's race a truck with a roll cage. And then one, we're not getting caught by other trucks. We're mm -hmm. hauling ass. At least we're in a truck. We're not on a bike, you know? Right. <laughs> so while we're working for all these automotive manufacturers doing, it turned into doing road course stuff too. Uh, we mm -hmm. were also racing off-road and then that's kind of what rolled me right into doing driving instructing and mm -hmm. stuff like that.
Now, when you say trucks, like these are like the Baja type style trucks, yeah. right? Yeah, like exactly. In- long travel. Yeah, we built ours. Ours was, I mean, uh, it's an awesome truck. And, mm-hmm. but we just built it in our garage and we were going up against teams who like had full blown shops. Yeah. And we, it has 24 inches of travel in the front and 34, I think in the rear, but basically mm-hmm. you can launch it off jumps, you know, go 10 feet in the air, going 60 miles an hour. And when you come down, uh, it just feels like you're just jumped up in the air on a couch and then like, you know, jump down on a nice soft couch. Like that's how smooth it is. Yeah. And, but our program was still pretty ghetto. Like our, our motor we had was just out of a junkyard and, mm-hmm. you know, rolled over the vehicle. Motor? It was, it was a Ford. We had a Ford Ranger and the motor was out of a Ford Explorer that someone had rolled. Mm-hmm. We bought it from a junkyard for like 1100 bucks and used that motor. And we were racing against people who were putting 30, $50,000 into motors. Um, it was a little painful because some of the spots where it takes relatively zero skill to drive, like on the big lake beds, you'd get passed by these guys going way faster than you could go because you didn't have the motor. And then right. you would have to make up for it where it's technical and where driving skill really comes in. Mm-hmm. And a lot of it, a lot of it is just keeping the vehicle alive. Um, right. Because like some of those races, it's like 50% of the people don't finish. So just because like they anytime break down you, or... yeah, just because you break down, it really is you against the desert. Like it's you're racing other people, <laughs> you're racing other people, but it's really comes down to you against the desert. Mm-hmm. And when you break stuff in the field, you better be able to fix it. You know, right. you rip a brake line off, and if you want brakes, you better go clamp off that brake line and bleed your brakes so that you could have brakes and lease the other uh, three tires. Or, right. you know, a lot of duct tape, a lot of zip ties, a lot of funky fixes. Um, mm-hmm. and, and since we built our truck, me and my cousin, Brad, we built our truck from the ground up. We knew every little piece of it and we were the mm-hmm. ones that were doing the work on it. So it was, it was a cool, unique thing because you see a lot of people just buy a truck from someone else or have a truck built by someone else. Mm-hmm. So they weren't quite as intimate with their own equipment. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that kind of gave us an advantage to be able to know every little bit of it. And I think our dirt bike background really helped. So, uh, we ended up racing a couple races when we first got the truck going and went to race the whole season. And we ended mm-hmm. up winning the first time we raced the whole season. It was a best in the desert, um, series. I think it was five or six races, um, but we ended up winning the championship that year. It came down to me and uh, or our team and one <laughs> other team. Yeah. And for a couple of kids from Hawaii to be able to go over and, and to win a championship, I mean, looking back on it, I'm pretty proud of that. At the moment, it was just, it, it was what it was. You know, we're putting in hard work. It didn't matter if we won or not. Right. But looking back on it, I look at some of the teams we raced against and, um, I realized how, how important that was, you know, like how special that was for us to win that. Right. Right. Yeah. Until you take a look back, you're like, wow, that was actually pretty impressive. But when you're in it, it's, yeah. you kind of have like blinders on, you know, you're like, ah, yeah, whatever. Yeah. yeah. I'm just 
I got here because I got here, you know? Um, yeah. yeah, it didn't uh, matter either way. Like, you just try your best. And so at that point, if you're trying your best, there's no regrets, right? right. Um, and obviously, you're not going to regret winning. But, like, there's things we probably did wrong. I know there's things we did wrong that we learned from. But, um, yeah, at the time, you just were doing what you're doing and, and focusing on the present. But looking back, it's like, man, that was pretty special, you know? Yeah, no, for sure. And, and it's interesting because, like, you mentioned – you know, that becoming intimate with your vehicle and like I do marine salvage, right? So yeah, we, in, in some sense, like you're, you're thinking on the fly, a boat sinking. Oh no, what am I going to do? Oh no, yeah. boats on fire. Like, and then people are also, you know, not yelling at you, but they're in a panic, right? Cause absolutely their livelihood or their pension is going underwater yes. and you're there as like the only option, right? It's up to you. So having that quick wit of like, okay, I can, you know, turn the seacocks off or I can, you know, duct tape or throw a Nerf ball up, up to the, uh, you know, where the propeller was or something like that, yeah. some crazy stuff. Right. Um, it's very reminiscent of like you being out in the desert and being like, Oh shit. Like it's up to me. If we want to yeah. win this race, this zip tie and this duct tape is going to have to work somehow. So yeah. was there any point in time or anything like you can remember where it was just totally, a situation where you had like no resources, but you know, I saw something on your Instagram the other day, you were welding with batteries, right? Yeah. Teaching us how to weld with batteries. Like that yeah. to me is so fascinating to take <sighs> nothing and make it into something. And like, you got to get on your way, just figure it out. Yeah. There's been moments like that. Um, as far as the welding goes, uh, you can hook up preferably a couple batteries together and, you hook them up so you up the voltage. Mm -hmm. So if you got 12 volt batteries, you hook them up in a wave, it's negative to positive, and you end up with 12, 24 volts or 36 volts, whatever it is. Uh, generally, for the classes, we like to teach 36 volts. So mm -hmm. we get three batteries. It takes two sets of jumper cables to link all that together, and then a welding rod, and that's basically it. Like you are basically shorting out the system, but you have the welding rod in the system mm -hmm. and you can melt and weld whatever you need. And, um, one of the trips we were on, we had snapped an axle and went maybe another half a day and snapped another axle. I think just the, the guy driving was a little heavy footed mm -hmm. because it really, you have to be smooth off road. And if you build up, if you're in a situation, let's say where you're kind of going slow through rocks and you're jumping in and out of the throttle, you build up all that torque. And then all of a sudden that thing grabs traction. And when that thing grabs traction, those axles don't like that. <laughs> so they're okay. kind of the weak link, right? Yeah. Yeah. So we snapped one again and didn't have a spare. Mm -hmm. um, at that point, we could have drove that vehicle out with front wheel drive only because it was a rear axle that we snapped. We could have took the rear drive shaft off and just let it drive with the front wheels, but we were in pretty deep and that would have been quite the process. So we ended up welding this axle back together, which is not only does it need to be strong because the thing's got all that torque going through it, but it also has to be straight because you right. can't have an axle that's in there just wobbling around. It's going to snap. So we took the time to grind that thing down to where we're getting a good penetration um, and had to bush craft 
a way to keep this thing perfectly square mm -hmm. and weld it all back together. And, um, I mean, that axle lasted the rest <laughs> of the trip. I believe that was on day two of a four day trip. And it's not like we're, we're driving cause we're instructing. So mm -hmm. if, if I was driving, I'd know to baby it over certain things, mm -hmm. but these are students that sometimes have relatively zero off-road skills. And so there's sometimes you're telling them to baby it, but that didn't happen. And, you know, right. So, uh, there's been other times where, you know, one of the races we got stuck and we actually had rolled the vehicle already earlier in the race. Like I, I was driving and we're like maybe 20 minutes into the race chasing a guy down in the dust. Yep. And I thought the track went straight cause you can't see anything. There's certain times where you just got to just go like, you know, yep. the dust track. is so thick. Yeah. yeah. And you're just hoping that there's, you're going the right direction. Well, we didn't, the track took a hard left mm -hmm. and we went straight. And next thing you know, you can't see anything blinded by dust. And all of a sudden you can feel the truck leaning one way. It's like, what the hell's going on? And then boom, next thing I know we're on the lid and it's like, <laughs> shit, what the frick? And then the dust clears and you're, and you look and you're like, oh, the, the road's that way. And like, we went off this little cliff, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah we got the vehicle back over. Someone had stopped and helped us get it back over. And later that race, it was probably two in the morning and we're in the middle of this dry lake bed. By that time, the race is so spread out for mm -hmm. people, you know, and we got stuck out there in the middle of this lake bed and this deep stuff. And we're like, frick, what are we going to do? You know, there's no one around to help you tow out of there. Mm -hmm. And I remember taking the second just to like breathe, like you're saying, stay calm, you know, Mm -hmm. and just like looking at the stars out there and just like, wow, it's a beautiful night, you know? And then <laughs> it took like, you know, 10 seconds to myself and like, Hey, let's figure this out. We ended up cutting down a bunch of shades brush mm -hmm. and like stuffing it, like jacking ourselves up out of the, out of the ruts and then stuffing a bunch of sage brush in to get enough traction to get going again. Oh no! And way. I had my friend had my co-pilot back there pushing got out of that situation, had to leave his ass. Cause like, I wasn't going to stop cause I'd get <laughs> stuck again. So like, right. boom, like leave his ass for it can go pretty far yeah. to where I could find a safe place to stop and stopped. And then, you know, wait for him or go back and get whatever gear we left. Right. Um, I've seen like fence poles get used, barbed wire get used for certain mm -hmm. things. And yeah, you gotta be resourceful. Kind of like you're saying with like the boat stuff too. And if you know, mm -hmm. The more you see it, the more you see weird stuff like that, weird fixes, the more your imagination runs mm -hmm. and you're only limited to your imagination. Right. Yeah. And it's typically like even some of the most simplest things that, you know, could ruin someone's day. And, you know, yeah. people, they tend to like when, when the key doesn't turn over, they're like, oh, nope, I don't know what to do. How do I, how yeah. do I not help? I don't know how to help myself. Like this, that, yeah. the other thing. And I'll show up and I'll be like, I'll jiggle the, the wires on their batteries. And I'm like, well, there's your problem right there. And exactly. you're like, no way. If you start this boat with that, I'm going to, I don't know, I'm going to sell this thing. And I'm like, all right, well, get ready to write the check because, you know, yeah. fire it right up, you know? So yeah. it's like having that ingenuity. And yeah. I think it seems like there, there's a lot of different parts of your story that it, that's, it kind of resonates, right? Whether it's, you know, working on the farm, like figuring things out as, you know, when you're younger to yeah. living in Hawaii. I think, people, you know, the people that live in Hawaii are 
naturally have that ingenuity kind of built into them because you do have limited resources. You're on an island. Yeah. There's not a lot. Right. Um, But then, you know, you're not only doing that, you're teaching it to guys that are, you know, kind of the war fighters or on the front line. Yeah. They really don't have an option. And then not only that, but they also have the option of, oh shit, I could, you know, I could get seriously hurt or die doing this. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So working with those guys, like transitioning from, doing it for fun slash professionally uh-huh. to yes. doing it for guys that really, really need it. What's that, what's that kind of feeling like transferring that knowledge over? Um, it feels good. You know, like that, it, it feels fulfilling because you have this skill that, you know, some people spend lifetimes honing skills that are useful, like building houses and stuff. Mm-hmm. And, I've always been lucky enough to have these weird jobs and hustle for these weird jobs. And, and I could never sit still in a, a full-time job. Mm-hmm. So I've had time in between sometimes to do fun things. And I've spent my time getting good at things that aren't necessarily a job. Mm-hmm. And that's what I've, that's what I've spent my time mastering. And it's kind of painful sometimes because yeah, you're good at these things that don't pay any money, but the, the off-roading stuff, it's cool to finally be in a niche and, and to have it be to where you're passing your knowledge on to somebody who's actually going to use it and could be a life or death situation. Mm-hmm. Um, it definitely makes it more special and it's cool to pass on that knowledge to somebody who accepts it you know that's the big thing is a lot of these special forces guys they wouldn't be in the position position that they're in if one if they're not good learners and then two if they're not um if they're they have a real similar mindset you know to be able to just get after it and know uh know that they're gonna have to to be out there and and be in the dirty situations and have that positive mindset and know mm-hmm. that they can't let themselves get down. Like you were saying, like, you know, people get so let down for certain things. And, and I, I have like a, for me, it just comes naturally. Mm-hmm. Like there's not too many things that get me down and I try not to let it drag me down. And I know when the morale is good, especially in a team situation that things go so much smoother. Mm-hmm. And it just gets so ugly, you know, it gets so ugly yeah. when morale is down. So keeping that happy attitude, and maybe that's because I know that things are going to work out mm-hmm. because I've seen it so many times that I don't feel like, man, this is useless. Like, I can't believe, you know, like you're saying like a battery terminal or something like, oh, I can't believe my boat won't start, you know? Well, it's like right. for us, we know like a little bit of work and like fiddling around with some things and we've right. seen it so many times. The other day, I was elk hunting earlier this month, and yeah. I helped somebody else find their elk. And and they had a friend that lived nearby that had a truck, and they had like a winch. They were going to get this elk in the back of the truck, mm-hmm. and the winch was not working good. And I I could hear it, and I could just tell that it was seizing up inside. So I just I went over there and I grabbed his trailer hitch that he had, and I just. I walked over and he looked at me funny and I banged on his shit real quick. I just like, bop, bop, you know, like yeah. hit it and like clicked the button and started up again, you know, and right when it started locking up again, I whacked it again. And he's like, man, 
I got some stuff in my house too. You want to come bang on that and see if it'll, you know, like start working. Yeah. But I think it's just like knowing that things work and it's, it's, it's good working with all the special forces guys and passing that knowledge on to them and trying to relate to their world um, because they're put in some pretty stressful situations mm-hmm. and knowing what you're passing on to them way will either keep them out of trouble from breaking down. That's the first part, right? Like don't break down to begin with. Mm-hmm. So driving the vehicle to, to its limits, but not past its limits. Right. And showing them what they could be capable of. And then sometimes, cause sometimes it's so minuscule, right? Like the, the line that you take, if you're three inches off, you're not going to make it and right. you're going to be stuck there. Yeah. But if you could, if you could hit that line, perfect, if you could have someone outside kind of guiding you to where you can get right on that line, second, then you're going to make it. Yeah. You can hear the dinging. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, you got a church nearby? Must be, must be every hour. God damn, <laughs> that thing's loud. Yeah. <laughs> yeah do you only so, have uh, one headphone or two? I got both headphones. You do? Are, oh, okay. Yeah, why does it sound funny? Yeah, it would just sound like a little for a little second. I was like, oh, I wonder what you know. I couldn't see the other one, but yeah, anyway. I think because the sun. Yeah, the sun's shining on this side. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, so um, keep. Going. Sorry about that. <laughs> yeah, no problem. So yeah, like with the with the guys we train, it it's cool to see them because they come into it. You'd be amazed at how many of them have absolutely no idea what the hell's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, I've opened up the hood and kind of the first day showing them around, showing them what what's under the hood, um, mm-hmm. what does what, and you know they see like the radiator and they're what's that do, and you're like. Okay. When, when you're raised around it, it's, it's, it's kind of funny, right? Cause like, I'm sure with boats and stuff too, like, it's like, Mm -hmm. how could somebody not know that, you know, but you have to realize that everybody comes from different things and these guys are good at different things. Mm -hmm. So you explain it all and to see them at the end of the week, to see how much knowledge that they've gained and how much more confidence they give in themselves. Because towards the end of the trip, I tell them like, hey, you know, I will tell you if your line absolutely sucks on where you want to drive, but I don't want you, I don't want you looking over me like, hey, how's this look? I want you to pick it and have confidence in it because I would rather you pick a subpar line that you have confidence in and where you're not going to hesitate versus maybe I see a better line that would be better, but your line's still going to get it done. As long as you, if you have that confidence in yourself and you're, you're not going to hesitate, I would rather see you take, pick that line, you know, and then maybe I'll point it out later. Like, yeah, we mm-hmm. probably could have did this over here, but right. Uh, a lot of it just comes with that confidence, right? You see hesitation and that creates problems. Right. Yeah. I think a lot of times in, in being on the water too, like if you're, as long as you're confident in your decision-making, then Nine times out of ten, it'll probably work out. But as soon as you doubt yeah. yourself, then you know you, you run into the problem of like, oh crap, like this could go really bad. And then you're constantly thinking those negative thoughts. Whereas, you know, for instance, there's a perfect example. Um, when I was out in Hawaii, we we uh-huh. ran up on a uh, a cocoa stump in the middle of the night, couldn't see anything. No hit the bow of the boat, glanced off, and I had a boat. I had like 16 people on the boat that night. 
So for manta you know, rays. Yeah, for manta rays. Yeah, at uh, okay. airport. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we're running back, and it was kind of choppy out. We came around K um K Holy Point, so you know it gets kind of rough out there. Oh yeah, and right, that uh, little point so crazy. Yeah, it's like it's like a light switch. Like you drive yeah. over there, it blows up. As soon as you leave, you're done. Like it's you're good yeah. to go. So anyway, we're coming back, and I hear I hear this big thud on the bow. I'm like, oh great, this isn't good. So you know, have everyone move. Everyone's kind of you know, everyone else is like, oh, what's going on? What was that? Yeah. And I'm like, ah, I'm fine, we're fine. I checked the bilge. Like no water's coming in. We're good. All right, keep going. So yeah. get to the dock, check the hull. Hole has like a, a good sized dent in it, like a softball had thrown, getting thrown against a car. And oh. uh, I shine one of the big blue lights, and the cocoa stump had to have been the size of like a Volkswagen. The thing was massive. Dang. Yeah. Go back on the next charter because now I'm like, well, we got work to, we still got work to do. So we go out on the next charter, 16 people come back, and all of a sudden a net gets caught in one of the props. I'm yeah. like, seriously? Twice in one night? Come on. And uh, yeah. You know, they say it rains, it pours, right? So yeah. Now we're over by Dog Beach, which is you know where right. the tiger shark, like right when you yeah. come in. And I'm like, oh man, this sucks. So I raise the engine because well, you got to get in the water, right? Yeah, now you got to get in the water, and I'm like, well, I don't want to get in the water at night. <laughs> <laughs> so I go to my crew member. I'm like, hey, uh, here's my knife. If you want to take care yeah. of it, like I'm not yeah. getting in the water. I'm like, nah, you don't have to get in the water. So I raise the engine up. We cut it out of the prop. And, you know, meantime, everyone's kind of like, you know, there's a murmur among everyone like, oh, we're going to be okay. We're like, what's going on? I'm like, yeah, we're yeah. fine. We're fine. Like, we got we got one motor. We'll be fine. You know, the second motor, we're going to we're gonna get fixed out. And then you fix it and you, you move on, you know, like mm-hmm. that's just, just how it goes, right? Because yeah. even on the island of Hawaii, like, there's no Coast Guard. There's no... no tow there's no yeah you know vessel assists like you learn to be on your own right so yeah there's this theme of ingenuity and just like figuring it just figuring it out you know yeah so too, through, like your, your ability yeah. your ability to stay calm because mm-hmm. you're the captain right so like yeah. if you're losing it you, the crew's like oh man like i'm not <laughs> just, you know like i'm gonna start losing it yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I think like you mentioned right there is although someone might see a path that might not be the easiest, but as long as they stay confident, I feel like your ability of knowing what's the better path just comes with experience, right? So as oh, long yeah. as you have that confidence, then you're going to be all right, you know? And, yeah. and that kind of goes into like everything else you do, whether it's the hunting um, and you hunt with some pretty incredible guys, um, some yeah. big names out in the industry, which is awesome. And just having the ability to like work hard, earn your summer, which is kind of what yeah. I say around on the keel and like, just keep going at it every single day. Do you think that's in a, a being attributed how you grew up or is that something that you've yeah. kind of developed over time? Both, uh, both from my family and just from Hawaii, mm-hmm. like my family, they can be hard asses. Um, mm-hmm you, you got to work your ass off. Like my, my grandma will make fun of you if you're not working your ass off. And, um, actually both my grandmas, which is funny. Um, they're pretty like, they were hard workers themselves. Um, mm-hmm. my one's still around just like, she's an animal in the garden and stuff. And mm-hmm. so 
and my grandpa and stuff and my my family, especially my cousins. I think my cousins played the biggest part for keeping me in line and like mm-hmm. they were older than me. Um, and I kind of I kind of lost track of what we we're talking about. What were we talking like about working hard, right? Yeah, just like was it you growing up? Like how yeah. was it the hard work developed? For you. Oh yeah, just yeah, just like that, and, and seeing, seeing when you're lazy, seeing how that affects the way people see you, mm-hmm. and you know, my family had a construction company, and my parents are the one who owns it, own it, and so all the employees will always look at you like, oh, that's just the owner's son, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I kind of grew up with that stigma and I, there's been times where I felt like I had to prove myself. Mm-hmm. Now it, it doesn't matter to me. Like now that I'm older, I am doing my own thing. I, you know, I know that what I do is, is worth it. And the amount of work I put in it, it's the right amount of work, you know, but I can drift, I can drift back and forth. Like when I'm not working hard, I go the complete opposite way. Like I get real lazy. Mm-hmm. So like there's, it's a hard for me to find that in between because it's either like, if I'm not busting my ass or something, like frick, I'll just fall asleep. Like I'll just lay down and be like, Oh, I'm going to just take a nap, you know, like anywhere, okay. anytime, middle of the day, it doesn't matter. But when it's go time, it's go time. You know, I know like, mm-hmm. Hey, time to roll the sleeves up. Let's get this done. And right. I, I'd say a lot of that comes from just being raised like that. My family probably, uh, and mm-hmm. why. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's something that you gotta have that balance. Right. And that's something that I always struggle with is having that, that balance and not working insane amount of hours and, and just keep yeah. going. I think part of it is like having, being able to have your brain turn off, you know, and yeah. not having it turn on is bad and not having it turn off is bad. Right. Like yeah. there's so many different ways to go about it, but having that balance seems to be, you know, I haven't quite figured it out yet. I don't think, I don't think anyone has the perfect formula for it. Nope. Yeah. Nobody will. We're all different. Nobody will. Yeah. Everyone's different, but you know, you go on a lot of incredible trips too. Right. Yeah. So like in a recent one, you Sadie and uh, Sule all went out yeah. to Utah, did a bit of a road trip. And before we started the yeah. conversation, or was it, was it not Utah or was it, uh, it was Nevada, in Nevada. Oh, it was Nevada, in Nevada, okay. Nevada and California. Yeah. Okay. Oh, I thought, yeah. So you were at Yellowstone. I was working. Well, no, the Yellowstone, we had gone to Yellowstone before. So I'll give you like, as far as the road tripping goes. Yeah. 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 The recent false case. So let me just backtrack just a little bit. Um, Go ahead. Back it up. All the, all the, uh, all the car stuff and stuff I was doing when I moved to the mainland, Mm -hmm. that took a screeching halt when the economy took a shit like 2008, Mm -hmm. 2009. The beginning of 2008, my, I, I'm kind of close to like, that's just my personality, right? To like, I can't just work with someone or be around someone. Like I have to be, I have to build a relationship with them mm-hmm. and things for me, like I'm not good at small talk, like things get personal. So I like want to mm-hmm. have deep conversations and stuff with people. And so I knew my bosses pretty well and mm-hmm. they all told me like, Hey, the economy's taking a shit in the car industry. I mean, the whole economy was taking a dive. Mm-hmm. 
they're all, you might want to start looking at doing something else, at least because all these programs are getting canceled. Right. So I, I worked every, I was like, Hey, give me every job, whatever it pays. I'm going to work as much as I can save up money. And I'm going to move back to Hawaii because mm-hmm. thankfully I have the safety net of having construction, a construction company over there. I could work for. Right. So I worked as much as I could 2008, moved back 2009, started working construction, had my daughter in 2010 and working construction. And when she was little, it was, it's fine. But like I said, I I don't do good with doing the same thing, like having a steady job. So not only did I start getting kind of bored with it, but I really wasn't seeing my daughter that much, you know, like I would leave the house before she was awake. And then by the time I was home, you know, dinner time, put her to sleep, it really wasn't that much quality time. But then I was getting offered, like come 2012, 13, I was getting offered jobs back in the mainland to do car stuff. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, do I want to, and I, I get paid more than I was working construction for that. So I was like, do I want to leave and not be around at all? So I mm-hmm. sat and calculated it. Like I was like, okay. Hey, how many hours am I actually around my daughter? How much quality time am I spending with her? Like I read her book at night and eat dinner with her. And that was about it versus if I leave for an entire week, but then I come home and I have a whole week. This is before she's in school, right? Mm -hmm. If I have a whole week with her, that's X amount of hours, which is way more than I was spending in those. If I worked those two weeks working construction, So I started doing the car stuff again and I was leaving and coming back. And then I was like, man, I want to bring them with me. Mm-hmm. So I, I bought a forerunner and I put a rooftop tent on it. And in 2012, we did six months when my daughter was a year and a half to two years old. We did six months on the road. Um, when I worked, we had hotels and then in between we'd go adventure and we'd take mm-hmm. these epic road trips and we, we lived on the road for six months and you know, my daughter's potty trained on the road. Um, Mm -hmm. and then the next year, the the rooftop tent kind of sucks because we, one trip we did was to Yellowstone Mm -hmm. and Yellowstone's real big. Like stuff's not very close. You'd set the tent up, sleep there for the night, but the next day you'd want to drive somewhere. You'd have to pack it all back up. Right. And if you're like in neighborhoods and stuff and you want to sleep, like, oh man, (laughs) we're tired for the night. You can't exactly just pop that thing up in someone's neighborhood. Right. So the next year I bought a van and I was like, okay, we'll get this. I got this 92 Dodge camper van for like 1900 bucks. And it was pretty nasty on the inside, like just old school, Mm -hmm. but the van itself was in good condition. So we remodeled that and we did nine months in that van Wow. when she was two to three years old the next year. Mm -hmm. So I spent nine months on the road and then we, she started going to school. So, um, you know, it's harder to leave. And this year it's like, what are we doing? You know, like how come we're not getting after it? Like we used to, you know, cause you kind of settle into a pace. So this year we revived the van, got it all going again. Thing ran beautifully. Love it. Um, it's crazy to see how big my daughter is now and like how mm-hmm. much space there is in that little van. Right. with a bigger human in there. We need a bigger van now. <laughs> yeah. So we, we, we charged it with the same van, but it was tight. And, 
um, we went all over, you know, seen some friends because a lot of my friends have kids now mm -hmm. and got to see a bunch of their new kids that I haven't seen. Um, and my daughter just had a killer summer, you know, like for me, sadly, I've been out. So I'm like kind of not jaded to it. Like I still appreciate it, but like riding dirt bikes and being in the mainland and going off roading, I, I get to do some of that stuff already, but to see, right. to take her to do some of this stuff. And we packed it in, you know, she rode jet skis, mm -hmm. dirt bikes, uh, went fishing, uh, camping, you know, we do some camping, but that's, that's cool. That's just different camping over in the mainland. Um, and we had a blast, you know, just travel around. We, I think we spent like a month just cruising around, seeing friends and, and camping and stuff. So it was, it was so good yeah. to get out as a family too. And such good bonding, you know, we don't, you know, we, at the end of the night, we'd sit there and play cards and stuff. And you mm -hmm. just don't do that when you're home. Um, even though you have the time and the means to do it, you know, you end up, you know, looking at your phone or watching TV or something. Mm -hmm. And so it's a good refresher because when we got home, it's like, let's play a little card game, you know, like it's, it's a little bonding time. And so it's, yeah, it's fun kinda, stuff like that. Kind of be able to turn it off for a little bit, you know, and, and yeah. Road tripping is one of those things that kind of force yourself. You kind of, in a way, pigeonhole yourself in the best way possible because yes. you're, the only way to get there is to hop in the car and drive. And yes. then you only have what A is on your back or in the car. So you're yeah. really kind of, you're not, you're not bringing any, you know, any fruity stuff, right? Like you're just bringing what you need, food. Essentials. Yeah, just the essentials. And, you know, depending on what style of camping you do, whether it's like out in the back country or, or just at a regular campsite, you know, yeah. you, you can only bring so much. So it's kind of a cool way to, you know, be able to turn off, not really have to worry about anything. And just, I think it's the best way to see the United States. Oh, I mean, yeah. That's, There's that's, no doubt. No, no doubt whatsoever. And yeah, I got yeah. to do two cross country trips. The last one was from Rhode Island to Cape Flattery, Washington, my buddy's truck. And yeah. it was a, it was a two seater Toyota Tacoma. So no room whatsoever, but it was probably one of the greatest trips I've ever taken, you know, awesome. um, but growing up doing that. And again, that's kind of like a thing that unless you grow up in it, it seems as though it's very hard to do unless yeah. you, you know, yeah, it seems unattainable to some people. And, uh, especially with a kid, like mm -hmm. the fact that we did it with a kid and it, there was hard moments, um, which is funny because when you're in it, mm -hmm. like the first year we did it in the forerunner, like I said, she's potty trained on the road. Like we'd have to pull over and just like go to the bathroom wherever. And, you know, it's mm -hmm. a little kid. And I remember during it, there were some hard times, um, not knowing where the hell you're going to sleep for the night, mm -hmm. driving all night and like tired and maybe not in the safest places. Um, but when it was all said and done, looking back on it, mm -hmm. those memories were, you know, you don't, you forget some of those hardships and looking back on it, it was like, Oh my God, that was such an amazing trip. And so trying to weigh out if we we're going to do it the next year when we did it in the van, it was like, of course mm -hmm. we're going to do it, you know, like those memories, but it was hard, you know, it's not easy. And the, the other thing I learned too is like you were saying, the essentials, mm -hmm. you only need, you, you need very little. And 
you learn that real quick on the road that you don't need very much. And I think it's important for kids to see that because mm -hmm. nowadays there's so much material things and so much like, I don't know. I just feel like it's a real material world now mm -hmm. to where, you know, kids have so much toys and they just go through them so quickly. Right. So to teach your kids that and that just that minimalist lifestyle and for mm -hmm. a reason, it's not like you have a big house and you're a minimalist. It's like you, you, there's a reason that you only have so much stuff. And it's same. Mm -hmm. Like we, we lived in a tiny house for three years while we we're building our main house. Mm -hmm. Same thing. You only need so much and there's hard times there, but it teaches you, it builds character. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. And, and that kind of seems to be the theme of the whole discussion. You know, now that I think of it is like <laughs> building character, earning yeah. what you, you know, reaping what you sow, earning the day and just kind of enjoying things without having to all the frills. Right. And like, yeah, being able to look up at the stars in a really shitty situation and appreciate that you're even there. You know, I mean, there's yeah. days when I'm out offshore, it's just snotty out, it's gross and I'm cold. going to, yeah. yeah, it's cold. Oh, it's getting colder. So I'm not, I gotta, I gotta bust out the Mustang dry suit pretty soon. Yeah. Um, which I know that's foreign to you guys over and over on the Island. No idea what the <laughs> hell that is. It's big old <laughs> dry suit that, I don't know, my buddy from the Navy got it for me. Fell off yeah. the truck. So he says, um, <laughs> But, uh, but yeah, it's just appreciating where you're at, even though it's in a situation that might not be ideal. Right. And appreciating the times on the road with your family and, and appreciating those yeah. moments that you can't always get nowadays. Right. Cause you get stuck in the rat race a little bit. And, you know, yeah. I think that's, it's, it's cool. It's refreshing to have a conversation like this and know that there's other people out there that aren't getting wrapped up in all the materialistic BS that currently kind of resides in, in society right now. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of the keeping up with the Joneses sometimes, um, that gets you in a bad hole and you know, where I'm at today, I was just talking to another friend where I'm at today is only because the decisions I made 20 years ago, um, mm -hmm. to, you know, to only drink water when I went out to restaurants because mm -hmm. I knew I didn't want to spend that much money on drinks and, it's not a quick thing. So sadly, like a lot of people, some people ask me about what I have or how I got it. And mm -hmm. as much as I want to share with them, the secrets, it's not an instant thing, you know, but mm -hmm. you got, if, if you want that lifestyle, you got to start somewhere. So, um, yeah, appreciating the things you have. And, and when you have less, you appreciate, you know, them more for sure. So yeah, it's a, it's a crazy world we live in. And I feel like the more and more, especially these last couple of years with COVID, mm -hmm. it's sad because people are kind of out for themselves already. Um, and it kind of just seems like it's, it's pushing that more, you know, like you're less around people. So you're kind of just more worried about what you're doing mm -hmm. versus the community and what's good for the community. So um, I definitely would love to see people, Obviously with COVID, it's kind of weird, right? Cause you can't, you're not supposed to be around so much people or whatever, but man, we're going to die as a society. If everybody just gets selfish and sticks to what they're, what they want and what's good for them, you know? Right. 
Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree with that. And I think it, it was on a, tr- it seems as though this is always, it's been like a track, right. Of like, okay, now people become more separate and more distance with uh, as much as technology brings people together. Right. And social yes. media and networking. Yes. Um, it does in a lot of ways kind of pull people apart. Whereas on the Island, you know, and, and everyone's little communities, like I have a great mm-hmm. community at the gym. Right. And it's important to have yeah. those communities. Right. And, and, you know, community, you got, you have your hunting buddies and I have my boating yes. buddies and fishing buddies. Like there's always these small little pockets of people that you rely on to go do certain things with. Right. And yeah. it seems as though Hawaii is like the ultimate, ultimate community out of out of any place because yeah. it really is people that are hey i got you're my neighbor and this is all we got because we're on this island in the middle of, in the middle of nowhere you know I mean, yes. you're five thousand miles from civilization in either direction yeah. so yeah a lot of options yeah that is a good point and it is kind of a melting pot there and you know like i said earlier you kind of take it for granted because you don't know any better um but now that i've been around i've traveled all over it's it's special and if we could take what we have over there and the aloha that we have over there and spread it um the world would be a much better place you know if you could take the the hawaiian lifestyle that we have over there and the community aspects of it and spread that throughout the world you would have a a definitely a healthier place in the world and it comes with the hard knocks too Mm-hmm. And that's what a lot of people don't want to understand. But I mean, just look at, you know, as far as the protests that were going on at Mauna Kea up there, like I honestly, like it, it doesn't matter to me either way, but I mm-hmm. couldn't help but see how special it was for certain people and the amount of effort they wanted to put into that. Mm-hmm. And the way those protests went on, look like if you couldn't bring a weapon up there, you couldn't be, you couldn't be smoking weed, you couldn't be drinking Mm-hmm. Um, they kept it pretty locked down up there because they didn't want a bad rap, right? Or have like one bad apple blow the whole thing. And when cops come up there to arrest you and there's nothing but people dancing hula and holding hands, what are you going to do, right? Right. And then you see, you've seen the crazy uh, protests that went on these last couple of years and how out of hand that got. Man, like, could you imagine if they would have taken the same approach? Right. Uh, is what they did up there, something that they cared about, whether it's something that we have a deep passion for or not, it doesn't matter, but it's something that deeply that people care about mm-hmm. and took a nonviolent approach to it. It's hard for cops to be violent to you when you're not violent and right. there's nothing but love there, right? Like it's the, it's the whole thing with love versus, I guess, fear and anger. Mm-hmm. We're seeing a lot more fear and anger now than love. And it would be, there's something special about Hawaii where you see that love kind of carry through and, um, yeah, it'd be cool to see more of that get spread worldwide. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, I remember my time there was, I won't, I would never replace it for anything. And the people that I met at CrossFit Kona and the people that I met on the water and just, yeah. you know, and Sule and you and Sadie and yeah, uh, you know it's there's a lot of great people out there and I think you're right. Like if there was a little bit more aloha elsewhere in the elsewhere in the world, 
the yes. world is much more grounded, you know, place to live. So yeah. with that being said, what is it that you got going on? Cause I, I keep on seeing these things dropping soon coming yeah. in, what is it? Fall or winter? I, yeah. Well, okay, so I'm, seasons out there. <laughs> yeah. So my, I think my brother-in-law gave me the name boar man mm-hmm. just from hunting and stuff and like goofing around. And so I used to have a clothing company that was uh, real fun because it kept that creative side of me alive, drawing and writing stories and creating something that was a value to someone else and seeing it was so cool. Like, you know, someone would have one of our shirts and they loved it and they would tell me later, like how much uh, they love that shirt and how soft it was or how much they love the design, whatever it was. So that creative side of me has kind of gone away with once I had my daughter, everything else kind of got put on the back burner and um, it is what it is when you're a family man and, and there's only so much time you can do for certain things. Sure. But as far as the boar man stuff goes, I've, I'm turning it into a brand, like a lifestyle brand. Mm-hmm. Um, definitely try my best to drop some stuff for the holiday season, just so people, cause that's like obviously a good time to sell stuff to people, but like, it's like this lifestyle that I'm trying to live um, and also want to spread the good message of, you know, living a good life and, and still trying to get after it and, and have fun and not just be stagnant and stuck mm-hmm. at a job that maybe you don't like. It's easier said than done, but you have to push the envelope and, you know, people will sit there and maybe criticize me. Like, oh, you had this happen or you had this happen. But most people don't know the things that I've gone through to get to where I'm at today, mm-hmm. nor do they want to go through those struggles. Um, but we're going to start a lifestyle brand and I'm not exactly sure where it's going to go. Mm-hmm. I don't know if we're going to make a YouTube videos of some of the cool stuff that we do. Um, but definitely just going to have some simple stuff to begin with, but would love to take the functionality of the things that I use in my life, because a lot of my stuff is more functional, like my lifestyle. Like we talked about being minimalist. Mm-hmm. When you're a minimalist, you have to have your stuff that functions, but you also want to look good too, right? So like take, take those things. Yeah. Combine that, um, to where it's functional, but looks good. And, and people can be inspired by what we have going on. And some of my friends, like, it's hard for me to look at myself and be like, Oh, you should do what I do. Cause it's inspiring. Mm-hmm. That's not the case, but I have had people like ask me those questions and cause they want to have that in their life. So the easiest thing for me would be to share that lifestyle, but also share some of the friends that I have in my life mm-hmm. who inspired me. And yeah. So as far as Borman goes, um, right now, all it is is somewhat of an idea mm-hmm. for a lifestyle brand. And that kind of encompasses all the things I love to do in my life because I'm always searching for what can I, how can I connect all these dots? Cause like we talked about earlier, I don't do good just doing one thing. And mm-hmm. sadly, I've spent so much time mastering stupid stuff that doesn't really make money, like skateboarding or spearfishing or, or hunting, you know, like bow hunting. 
sure. stuff like that. It's not like you're going to go work a full-time job doing that. And, but is there a way that I can create a brand that encompasses all the things I like to do, being creative, drawing, writing stories, getting to do these things and share them with other people mm-hmm. and somehow create a valuable product that people want to be a part of and, and live that lifestyle. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of where that's headed. Cool. Um, yeah, we're working on it daily. It's getting more exciting. I'm getting closer to seeing the whole vision come together, but no rush to force it. And it'll it'll just kind of grow into whatever it is. That evolution. And yeah. And so yeah. I'm excited. Yeah. Thanks for asking about that. Yeah, it's 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 coming along. <laughs> no, I'm excited to see where it goes. And um you know, so with that said, where can people learn more about you and, and the things that you do? I mean, I know you're just on yeah. the Mediator podcast and talked about a little little story there. Which we can save. They can yeah. keep. Stephen can uh, tell that story. Um, yeah. But, uh, you know, where can people get to know you better? Yeah. So pretty much Instagram is the only place I'm at right now. Um, unless you have my phone number, you can call me. But like, uh, yeah, Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's uh danny bolton it's that's the handle right at danny bolton and then um if you just go on there like kind of see some of the lifestyle of what i'm up to and then i'm not sure if i'll keep that for like the boardman product or it'll kind of have to have its own instagram mm-hmm. i'm not sure but there will definitely be a, a website involved at some point i haven't looked into what's available um, but Boardman will be the name of the brand and it's kind of cool. Like that, that's kind of evolved into just, there's an animal in us all, right? Mm-hmm. Like we can be very primal and the human being we're as, as complicated as we think we are. We're very primal people. And there's certain things I always like psychology and, and I like to read books about that and how our brain works. And as soon as you learn a lot about yourself and how the brain works, it makes your life almost easier to understand. Mm-hmm. So I like the idea that it's kind of primal in the way we think as far as hunting for your own food. And there's a special, there's a special connection there that's made that you wouldn't, you wouldn't know unless you did it yourself. Right. And especially when you share that, there's something special about like catching a fish Mm-hmm. or hunting for something and then cooking for other people. Uh, there's no way to explain what that feels like, but you know, that must be just so ingrained in us to be able to do that back in the day and feed your tribe that may be starving at that point um, mm-hmm. to know that you're going to, what you did is going to carry on their life for another week or whatever it is until you get something else mm-hmm. that is lost in today. Like you can't go hungry in this, at least in this country. Right. You, there's no way you can go hungry because I've had, I have a friend who lived homeless on purpose mm-hmm. for three years, eating roadkill and out of dumpsters and stuff. Really? And Yeah. And so that, that in itself is available to us all, right? Like if we wanted to go dumpster diving, you, you could. Really yeah. And, right. And it, and it'd probably be a lot healthier than like, you're talking about meat eater stuff. I, I (laughs) ate that raw goat and got a parasite and got super sick from that. I mean, shoot, probably eating out of a dumpster may have been a better bet. (laughs) Probably. 
yeah. yeah. What was it called again? Tac? What was it? Not uh, toxo. I got I got toxoplasmosis, and that wasn't for the meat eater. It was before the meat eater show, which that their season comes out soon. I mm-hmm. think I'm on the second half of the season. I'll have an episode, but uh, yeah, I got toxoplasmosis, which comes from cats, but. Right. <laughs> <laughs> all and all animals can get it in this i ate some raw goat meat that had it and Long story short, pretty yeah. much wrecked my i i'm i must better stick to the dumpsters yeah <laughs> dumpsters and spear fishing and and leave the raw yeah. goat alone yeah 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 cool. exactly well danny super stoked for the new Boreman brand and what that looks yeah. like and uh yeah, just really, really excited that you came on the show today, and and I'm I'm I've been looking forward to watching that episode of Mediator come out as soon as I saw the picture of it. I was like, oh man, when is it? Yeah. When is it out? So great having yeah. you on today, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Yeah, thanks, Zach, and I'm I'm stoked for you. You know, with your whole thing that you got going on and um, connecting with people and building that community, it's cool to see. And and I'm stoked for you, and we'll have to reconnect here shortly. Yeah. And next time you're back in Hawaii or on the East coast, I'll, uh, I'll reach out. Right on, man. Sounds good, Danny. I'll talk to you soon. Okay. All right. Thank you. Thank you guys for tuning into this episode of Along the Keel. I appreciate you guys sticking around towards the end here and, uh, just hearing me out for some announcements as well as my thoughts on Danny. I think it was incredible having him on the show today. It's something that we're going to be doing more of more people, not just the brands and organizations, but people will be coming on to the podcast to share their story about how much they love the coastline and the ocean and all things just revolving around the outdoors in general too. So Danny, what an interesting guy, Um, you know, his family owning a coffee company, anything from off-roading to fitness to elk hunting to what have you this guy has pretty much been there and done that so i think what i really took away from danning's um experiences is just being able to kind of pace yourself right and and being patient and working through the process a lot of what danny does it seems to me like he's very process oriented right whether it be out into the middle of the desert teaching special forces guys um, how to be better operators, um, especially when it comes time to operating an off-road vehicle. And also from a spearfishing perspective and and being calm underwater and under pressure. And and not only that, but his career as an off-road racer and, and truck builder. I mean, shit, that guy's pretty much done it all. And there's always been a process um, implemented. But on the on the side note, he's always been someone that puts his family first, it seems. Like there's always that love of, of the quote-unquote Ohana, right? Um, so, Danny, props to you, man. Really appreciate you coming on the show and uh, would love to have you back on again someday. We will definitely be in touch. And, um, yeah, so with that, make sure to check out our new website, alongthekill.com. Sign up for our newsletter. You can sign up for there on the website as well. Um, but no longer is Along the Keel just a podcast. It is a place where you can go learn about the ocean, learn about some coastal activity that you love, but also purchase some of the ingredients that you might need for your next coastal adventure, whether it's a new pair of Opalus Optic sunglasses for a night out on the town or even some knives and tools for the next time you want to go fishing. So be able to check that out. Follow us on all the social media outlets, and we will catch you on the next episode. But before I go, work hard, do good, be incredible, and have an awesome day.